everyone. Welcome to Making Room on the Pew, a podcast for the church misfits and outcasts. This is a podcast for the church misfits and outcasts, the people the gatekeepers of the faith love to keep out. Here we talk about building a fully inclusive church with the people who are actually out there in the world doing the work. Join us to learn more about experiences and perspectives different from your own while we create the church we are all longing for. Today on the podcast, we have Manda Carpenter. I first met Manda a couple of years ago through Twitter when she DM'd me asking if she could share my national coming out day guide with her audience. Of course, I said yes, and we started texting and FaceTiming, and I am so honored to call her a friend. Manda lives in Chicago with her husband, Eric, where she is a writer and a foster parent. She is also the creator of Monthly Letters of Encouragement, a ministry focused on spreading love, grace, and words that speak life across the nation through handwritten letters sent via snail mail. Now, we did not get to talk as much as I would have liked about Monthly Letters of Encouragement during the podcast interview, so if you want to know more, and I know that you do, stick around to the end and I'll tell you how to get uh, more involved with that. Manda believes that there is not a person you wouldn't love if you knew their story, and we are absolutely going to talk about what that means to her today. Guys, you are going to just love Manda if you don't already. She is funny and kind and just such an amazing friend. Help me welcome to the Making Room on the Pew podcast, Manda Carpenter. Hi, Manda. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for being here today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah. Oh, me too. Um, Okay. So I gave you like a little professional introduction at the beginning of the podcast, um, but I'd like for you to tell us a little bit more about yourself, just, you know, in your own words, who is Amanda Carpenter? Yeah. Um, Oh my goodness. It's always fun doing these because it's like, where do you begin in 30 seconds to try and give a snapshot of who you are, you know, that an authentic one. So I'll do my best, but, um, I am a wife and a foster mom and I live in the city of Chicago. I love to write and share, um, my story and my journey, um, just with everything. A lot of times people will be like, what do you write about? What do you share about everything from my marriage to my faith, to, um, the littles that are in our home to, just what God is doing in my life or the areas that I am growing in or need to grow in, whatever, whatever that looks like. And so I do a lot of writing and um, I've had a lot of career changes in my life since college. So I also tend to talk about that. People ask me a ton of questions about how I went from being a teacher to working in marketing, to working at a church, to doing my own thing. And so, yeah, just kind of all of that. And I don't know if I said this yet or not, but we live in the city of Chicago and we feel um, really rooted here and love it. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Yeah. You know, I, um, I really like how you don't pigeon your, uh, pigeonhole yourself into what you write about. Cause I think, um, for writers a lot these days we'll hear like, 
find your thing, find your one thing that you talk about and be like, you know, get really good at that. Um, and when I first found you, I was like scrolling through your blog and I'm like, there is a little bit of everything, but it's also mm. uh, applicable um, to people's mm. life. Um, so I, I like that a lot. Thanks. Um, appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, no, of course. Um, so I do want to talk a little bit about um, on your website, you write, there is not a single person you would not love if you knew their story. Um, mm -hmm. I love that a lot. That is one of the things that really like caught my attention on your website. Um, and I feel like there's probably a story behind that. Would you tell us a little bit about that, um, that sentiment and how you got there? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I think for me in my late teens, early twenties, I was living my life in such a way that I was burning a lot of fridges and a lot of people um, didn't like me anymore. And more on that another time. But point being, I wasn't making some of the best decisions of my life and I was dealing with the consequences and the people, the very people who went to church or called themselves Christians or would claim to love God were the people that were like shunning me out of their life and not giving me any grace during that period of time. And that really hurt. And I, as I continued to grow and mature both as an individual and in my spiritual life, in my relationship with um, Jesus, I felt like that was a huge, um, huge problem. And so I started like just in my own growth and development being like, oh my goodness, like there's not anybody that we wouldn't love. I, like, I think I was telling myself like they would love me if they really knew me, if they knew all that I went through and like where I've come from and like where I'm at now. And I wasn't making an excuses or trying to justify anything. I was just like, I really don't think there's any person that we wouldn't love if we like sat down across them and just heard their story. I think like too often because of social media or whatever, we're quick to like draw our lines and like who's in and who's out and oh, they're, they're liberal. Okay. I can't be friends with them or I don't like them or oh, they're conservative. Like they must be, you know, X, Y, or Z. And we, we like box people in instead. It's like, if we get to know people and we know their story, like there's grace in that. And there's like understanding and compassion. And, and I really, really think that we get to love them. And just in a very brief snapshot, for me, that plays out in my journey of going from being a non-affirming Christian to an affirming Christian. And what I mean by that is non-affirming as in, I was raised to believe that if you were LGBTQ, um, and I might be even saying that wrong, so forgive me if I am, but that you were not that that was a sin that was wrong. The Bible says it's wrong and you're not going to heaven and just all the things. And so I very much believed that. And then, uh, fast, uh, flat, uh I can't even talk, uh, fast forward to in my life today, I live in Chicago. I have friends that are LGBTQ. I have friends that are LGBTQ and married and LGBTQ that are single and, and just, just like my heterosexual friends, I'm learning to, um, I've gotten to know them and I'm learning their story. And guess what? You can't hate someone that you know their story and that you get to know. You, you end up loving them. And anyways, so I hope I'm not going too much off on a tangent here, but I really, really firmly believe um, that there isn't anyone you wouldn't love if you knew their story. Now, 
the last thing I'll say on that is that, how do I want to say this? This is not something that I am perfect. I just want to like also address that because there are people that maybe like really irritate me or get under my skin in my day-to-day life or, or maybe on social, I've had to like unfollow or just be done with that person. Um, I'm not saying that we shouldn't create boundaries and that everyone should just be best friends. But I think that um, it's even something that I remind myself when I'm tempted for a second to withhold grace or I'm tempted for a second to think I'm better than someone, or I'm tempted for a second to hate on someone or to come up with my own stories and judgments of that person, I try to bring myself back to, no, 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 no. There isn't anyone that I wouldn't love if I knew their story. And I hope that is true for people as they would get to know me as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I I love that um, a lot. It was, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about um, I was a social work major um, through school, and we had a professor who always um, had that same sort of sentiment of like, you would do better if you um, if you learned your clients' stories first before you started mm. judging them. Um, yes. And so I, right? So like I, I started doing that in my work. I worked um, at Child Protective Services. So I, I felt like I could do that at work with um, parents and with foster parents. Like I, I could handle that, but I could not get it over into my personal life. Mm. And I think mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's so interesting um, that you're kind of uh, showing us a little bit how to do that, not only in our professional lives, but also um, in our personal lives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, I love that you brought up um, the LGBTQ community and the um, affirming unaffirming stance, because that's actually how I met you. I was thinking about how we met online um, mm-hmm. and you messaged me on national coming out day and asked if you could share something that I had posted um, yes, yes, I do remember that. Yeah. Um, and coming back to the whole, you know, you would uh, know, you would love people if you knew their story. I had so unfairly judged you from what I had seen mm. online. Like, I mm. really thought, like, you were not going to be affirming. You were, um, uh, for whatever reason, like, I don't even know why I thought that. And when you messaged me, it like shifted my whole world. I was like, oh, mm. man, like, I totally judged. Manda, how many other people have I judged unfairly mm. on this yeah. just because of like what I saw on social media? Um, yeah. Or, so, or yeah, what I, you didn't I, see. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because um, nobody shares their whole selves on social media, right? We, we mm. share what we want people to see. We share what we think other people want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, I'm wondering if um, you would share a little bit about us, or you would share a little bit with us if I could get myself together. Um, is there a person or maybe an entire population of people um, who really surprised you when you began intentionally spending time with them and learning their stories? Yes. Um, two different 
things pop up right away for me when you ask that question. Number one is the LGBTQ community. So like I said, I grew up in a small town in Indiana and just in a community where that wasn't affirming. So I think there was part like people probably were identifying as that, but maybe not publicly. So I didn't know it. And also just um, because it had been kind of preached and, and culturally it was just so quote unquote wrong that I wasn't exposed to that a lot. And so I almost developed this like it's wrong and maybe even a little bit of a fear around like a gay couple. And it's so crazy because as I've gotten to know, like we have a couple that we're really good friends with here in the city of Chicago and the two of them are amazing together. And like, yeah, I would just like, I trust them with myself, my kids, like I, I just love them. And so it's been getting to know their story. That's totally shifted my view of them. Like the, and I, and I don't want to offend anyone who's listening to this. So I hope that me sharing my journey in the raw is um, insightful and not offensive in any way, but like to be around a gay couple and to not be like, ew, like that's so weird or that's wrong or that freaks me out or that's not normal or that's not the way it's supposed to be. Like it took a while for me to get out of that mindset and that um, just like my brain wiring to like undo it and to like get to a place where I see them as like equal to my husband and I, and I see them and their relationship as like beautiful and holy and like wonderful. I mean, nothing less. And so um, that would be one that I think just being around um, our friends and different people in that community has totally shifted things from me, getting to know their stories and um, really just taking off this, these goggles that I was told to wear, I think since a young age of how I was supposed to see them. And instead being like, okay, I'm going to start from scratch and see them how I see them. And what ended up happening was just this beautiful shift. Um, so that's the first thing. The second um, group or thing that pops up for me when you ask this question is definitely people who are experiencing um, hardship in their life when it comes to like their finances or maybe relationally. I, I believe that the root of poverty is, is not a lack of money or resources. It's a lack of it's a it's a lack of relationships it's broken relationships and so um very very much in my life have i begun to see the people that um i'm getting to know through the kids we're taking into our home and there's been a shift in my view of them and my desire to be in relationship with them to be honest i didn't want to be in relationship with the mother of the first little girls that we took in um i tried and then it got funky and i just wanted to give up because it was too hard too messy um and again long story short i ended up making a lot of mistakes learning from those mistakes getting to know her and her story um, and really actually getting to know her and her story and giving her that opportunity to share it with me and with me having like taking those judgment goggles off and being willing to like receive her for who she really is. And I've learned that, you know, we may not be best friends. We may not agree on everything, but she's a wonderful person and she's worked really, really hard to get where she's at. And who am I to think I'm any better, you know? And so again, I could go on and on about this, but like the families of a lot of the children we take in. It's easy to love the kids and not the family, but instead getting to know those family members, whether it's the mom and dad or whoever um, has had guardianship of the kids till the point where they're with us. Um, that's been both, 
both of those communities have changed my life as I've begun to have relationships with them. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to talk about um, being foster parents since you have brought that up. Um, but I, I want to go back to what you were saying before too first um, and say, I, I don't think you were um, offensive at all. I actually think that's really powerful that you are able to share your story about becoming affirming. Um, I think we're mm -hmm. definitely going to have people listening to the, the podcast who are still unaffirming or who are still discerning and working through that process. Um, and I think it's really important and really powerful that people are willing to talk about that journey um, without feeling like they're being attacked for mm -hmm. um, how they once felt or how they once thought, um, or even if they still are unaffirming. Like, I, I really think that we need to have um, a lot of grace in that conversation. Um, and it's yeah. really important for everyone to be able to be honest without feeling like uh, they're... Um, like they're going to be attacked for for whatever they believe. So since we have been talking about uh, fostering and about the kids that you've been fostering, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about becoming foster parents. Um, why did you guys choose to do that? What was the catalyst for that? Because that's, um, I mean, that's not an easy decision. You don't just decide, oh, I think I'm going to foster today. Um, that's a, it's a big commitment. Um, and a lot of your heart has to go into that. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that journey to deciding to do that. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, so when I was dating Eric, he knew it was, and that's my husband. Um, when we were just dating, it was something I talked about frequently that, hey, I don't necessarily have a desire to birth children, but I do want to be a mom. And this is the path that I believe I'm going to take. And like, I wanted to make sure that was super, super clear. Cause the last thing I wanted to do is get married and then have an, have him have an expectation on me that we're going to um, maybe go the traditional route of having children. And uh, to back up even more, the reason for that, the reason I had always wanted and had a desire to be a foster and adoptive mom is it stems from, uh, and I've written on this, so there's some pieces if anyone ever ends up going through my writing, um, I try to keep them showcased. They tend to be some of the most popular ones, but it, it stems from an incident that happened in my childhood when I was seven and I was a child who found myself in a, in a spot, um, or I guess I didn't find myself, somebody, uh, a caseworker and a police officer and the ambulance and everybody who came um, that night on my seventh birthday uh, knew that I needed a temporary safe and loving home while my parents did some work or specifically my father. And so I was placed in temporary care until I could be back with my mom. My mom has um, been amazing and always had me. So it's not like I did um, spend years in the foster care system or anything like that. But because of an incident that happened when I was seven, that happened when I was seven, I tell people all the time, it was such a uh, like a catastrophic event, like a very traumatic, not a good thing at all. But because of that, it was the catalyst for what I believe my calling is. And that is to provide a temporary safe and loving home for these kids who so desperately need it. Um, and so that happened when I was seven. And even before then, my mom has said, when you were really little, I think, you know, as little as four years old, you talked about like, this is my baby. I adopted her. It would be like a baby doll. 
And instead of just normal kids, like I'm, this is my baby and I'm the mommy. I was like, this is my baby and I adopted her. So I don't know how the seeds for adoption and foster care were in my heart at such a young age, but they were. And then, like I said, God used this catastrophic event in my life to uh, be the catalyst. And And then in the years between when I'm being seven and getting married and actually making the decision, I ended up doing a lot of different missions trips and um, any opportunity I could, I jumped at the opportunity to work with either children who had lost one or both of their parents, or um, I, I spent time working in an orphanage for a little bit. And so just the experiences also continue to like grow this passion in me that somebody has to fight for these kids um, and somebody has to actually be there for them and open their home up for them. And I, I think for me, it was just like, okay, that's, that's going to be me. I'm going to be one of those people. And then when we were married, actually making the decision to take steps forward was pretty easy actually for us. Like I didn't want to like hound Eric and be like, are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? Have we been married long enough to do this? Should we, should we like wait longer or be, you know, but we had lots of conversations. I prayed about it a lot when we both felt like, you know, let's, let's give this a shot. And we made a vow that our marriage comes first. And if at any point um, we need to focus on us, that we would pause on having kids in our home. And that still is true to this day. In fact, I'll be really real with y'all on this podcast right now as we're recording this. Um, we have an eight-year-old with us and um, it's a very temporary thing. And when um, when she returns to her family, which is the plan, reunification is always the goal, but in some cases it's much more obvious that that is going to happen and soon. Um, and in her case, that's that's what's happening. When, when we are back to being our young empty nester selves, we are going to stick to that for just a little bit while we work on us. So, I mean, that's giving you probably more than you wanted to, wanted to know. No, like, um, no, I, I love that you talked about that. Um, and I do think that that's so important, making sure that um, your marriage comes first and making that a commitment. Um, really shows a lot of, um, I don't want to say maturity, like clearly you're adults, you, you, you know, you can do that, but a lot of um, self-knowledge, I think, you know, knowing that um, putting your marriage first is how you're going to better serve the kids that come into your home. And I think that's a really important message for um, everyone out there who may be thinking about, um, starting to foster like even you know speaking from my own experience me and my wife Sarah are starting to talk about thinking about fostering um and so I love hearing you say like put your marriage first make sure that that's Mm -hmm. solid first before making a commitment to these kids um in order to better serve them um so I really appreciate your honesty with that yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, I'm sure there's plenty of things, but I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about the hardest thing about fostering and then also the best thing. I think that um, it's really important that we kind of put those together that, um, you know, we all know fostering is hard. Walking mm-hmm. uh, a journey in the most tender parts of a family uh, that's really hard, but 
I also feel like, I mean, we need to put in what's the best part. And, and um, I would like for you specifically to talk about it just because I feel like a lot of people who are foster parents, um, if you were to ask them what's the best thing and they have adopted one of their foster kids would be like, oh, well, we got to adopt them and they are a part of our family now. Um, mm. And I know that you and Eric, um, that has not been your story with any mm -hmm. of your kids yet. Um, and I think that's really important to point out that, you know, there can be um, amazing stories of kids in the foster care system who get to go back to their families. And of course, that's hard for you. It's hard for the foster parents to pour out their hearts for kids only to have them leave in the end. Um, but that can also yes. be good. Um, so, yeah, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that, the hardest thing and then the best thing about fostering. Yes, I love the way you worded all of that, too. It's um, it's so real um, that it's hard and it's so real that it's full of joy and like, honestly, my favorite thing in the world. So, yes, um, I'm happy to share on that. The very best thing. Gosh, I don't know where to begin because there's honestly so many things like for me. Um, and our family and in the different kids that we've brought in, the best thing, the most joyful thing about it is um, the attachments that are created. That sounds funny to say, but it's, it's a, like people will tell me all the time, like, oh my gosh, I don't know how you guys do what you do. I get too attached. It's like, what do you think I am? Like, I'm human. I get too attached. That's the whole point. Like you're good. You're going to be good at it. If you get attached, you're going to be good at it. If you are able to love like that, you know, without withholding, without the fear of like, but one day they might leave. Yes. Either way, whether you adopt them or not, one day they're going to leave. I, I know it's a little bit different and that's kind of facetious, mm, but, yeah. um, but the, the attachments, the like, to grow so comfortable and to develop a family and to feel like a family and um, to, to navigate like the lows with that child when their behavior or emotionally things are um, off after a visit, it's really, really, really tough. But I think there's such joy in it. And also like, um, yeah, we just have a lot of fun. Like on a very basic level, I think we have a lot of fun. I think sometimes we miss like our old lifestyle or our lifestyle without kids, but overall it's so great to, um, it's so great to sit around a table and play Uno with the kid that we have in our home. Or it's so great to, um, I'm trying to think of other tangible examples. I'm not being very uh, convincing here, but it's just fun. And um, so whether it's working through a hard thing after a visit or whether it's playing Uno and um, doing whatever the kid wants to do. So again, under the best. So the joy with the kids, like playing with them and doing activities with them and seeing them light up. And to be honest, like with the, with the twins that we had, which was the longest placement we've had, um, I think it was actually really interesting. I tell people this and they're always like, what? Um, the girls were so, so, so well behaved in the beginning. And by the end of our time with them, they were actually really naughty. And you might be like, hmm. where is she going with this? But the thing is, I think when kids feel safe and they feel at home, 
they, that's when you see them being kids and being kids means acting like a three-year-old, not, not being, you know, um, independent and scared to ask for things or whatever the case is. And so we actually see too, that when we have a child and they feel safe and comfortable and loved that their behavior actually might get worse, um, at least in the short term, but that's a good sign. Like we want them to feel safe, like, and, and like they can be children, you know, we want to see them be rambunctious kids, not being fearful, um, timid, um, just like unsure about us or, or the setting that they're in. And so I think that was just an interesting little tidbit that I share with people. And then the worst things, the hard things, um, there's also a lot. So as, as much as there's equally the best parts of it, there are the worst and the hard and I won't uh, sugarcoat it. So for me, some of the hardest things are feeling unappreciated, whether that is by a kid that I have in our home or whether that is by um, a family member in, in the whole process as we interact. Um, so real life example last night, like I had just recently bought Kay, who's the little one we have, um, like some new clothes. I took her to get her nails done. I got her Starbucks. I've been, I wouldn't say I'm trying to spoil her. I've just been giving her some of the things and trying to create the memories, um, of fun and, and just giving her a picture of like what life was like for me with my mom as a little girl. Um, and then, you know, last night though, after all those things for her to tell a lie to us about homework and then, for her to have an attitude and be really disrespectful, like that's really, really hard. But guess what? That's real life. That's having kids in general. So I'm, I'm sure that's hard for every parent. That's just a newer thing for us to face. And so we're like, this isn't fair. Like, you can't talk to me that way. You can't treat me like that. But then to also remember, like, these aren't just your average kids. These are kids that are going through a lot. They've been removed from their family for whatever reason for a time period. And so um, that's really hard. I, if I'm, honest, you know, in my humanness, it's really hard for me to feel unappreciated. Um, another thing that's really hard is post visits or whatever that looks like, depending on the case and the child we have with us. Um, it's usually a pretty emotional and exhausting evening when they return and they usually don't like us very much. And it feels like all the progress we made in terms of like attaching and bonding and getting comfortable it feels like we always take like 20 steps backwards. So that's just really difficult. Um, it's really discouraging sometimes. And other than that, I wouldn't, there's not too, too much else that like really stands out to me, but overall, I just feel like the good definitely outweighs the bad and the fun and the, um, joy outweighs the hard, but it's also okay to try it for a little while and to say like, okay, we need to take a break. We're not quitting, but we need some time. Um, so just to encourage anyone out there who's considering doing it or who is doing it, like that's definitely our mindset. And, um, it's funny, you'll get people who will hate on you for doing it. You'll get people who will hate on you for not doing it. You'll answer some really weird questions. Like one time we had a child and we didn't have that child's sibling and people were like, well, if they have a sibling, why don't you have the sibling? Why does, why is the sibling with another family? And it's like, you, I think you have to gauge how much you share with family and friends or especially on social media, because people will not, you can't answer every question. And you're already so exhausted from being in it that having to relive it by explaining it all the time is um, not helpful. So again, just another little thing that I've learned along the way. 
Hey friends, I hope you are loving my conversation here with Manda today. I am learning so much from her. I hope you are as well. I did just want to pop in here before we finish up this podcast um, to give you just a little warning here. So in our last uh, little bit here of the conversation, we do talk about some hard things, including uh, sexual assault um, and specifically the uh, abusers in those scenarios. So I do just want to give you guys a little caution warning here. I would love for you to hear the rest of the conversation um, if you're comfortable with it, but I know uh, when you have had personal experiences, that is something that is really, really difficult uh, to hear. So for your own mental health, if you need to just go ahead and log off now, go right ahead. We'll see you next week. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about who you think um, are the misfits and the outcasts in today's modern American church. And I want to come back to the church um, because that's really where this podcast is uh, focused most of the time, the misfits and the outcasts of the church. Um, so I'll, I'll turn that back over to you. Um, do you have an opinion or uh, who do you feel are the misfits and the outcasts in the American church today? Yes. Um, This is hard for me because it bothers me so much. So I am also an eight on the Enneagram. And if you know eights on the Enneagram, we go to anger. Um, Anger is like an emotion that's in our gut that we feel often. And um, not to say like, oh, I'm just some angry woman, but I, I, I felt like that anger rising even just at the thought of like how I was about to answer this question. So yes, um, I think that the American modern church today is um, not helping people in the LGBTQ community um, to feel like they fit, to have a natural place in the church. Um, Not saying every church, because there are affirming churches that I don't think this is an issue. Um, but I know, I think when I, when I look at least in my little world, my view, I think that's still a huge problem. I don't think it's normal, it's normal or common for, um, across the nation to look at church and be like, yeah, LGBTQ are widely accepted and they have a role and there's no questions about it. Um, I, I don't see that personally. So I think that's one group of people. I think that, also, in my experience, kids who don't have parents who go to church are totally mm. um, a, mis- a misfit and an outcast because churches today have such high um, like security and protocol. And we don't make it easy for a kid to just like run around in their neighborhood, stumble upon a church and, and want to come and play with the other kids and be a part of it. We, we have things in place, systems in place that I think are very exclusive and that we just, I feel like we put too many um, like hoops to jump through for people. Um, and I've seen that with like security systems around like checking kids in. So if a perfect example, if a 12 year old uh, neighborhood kid wanders into my church, I don't know 
if they have to like call his parent, there's just so many like protocol and security things. And I think that that is um, more the case because I'm a part of a little bit of a larger church. And as the, as any church grows, I think security and protocols and processes and procedures have to increase. But um, I have a, I have a real problem with whenever I feel like it's not easy for someone to come in, take part and um, play a role in facilitating and grow in leadership. Those, those like different parts that I just listed, like if that's not like as easy for that human as it is for me, I think that that's a problem because I think that if, if the church can't accept people and like, if the church is in a safe place for all, then gosh, that, that makes me feel really um, like hopeless and a little bit angry. Another group that I was running into some conversations when I used to work at a church um, that I just had a hard time. It was a really hard pill for me to swallow sex offenders. So again, maybe because of if a church is a little bit bigger and safety and protocol and procedures, but if someone is a sex offender, it's from my perspective at the churches I've been involved with, it is not easy if it's known that they're a sex offender, which I believe they have to make it known to somebody. I, I don't know the rules on that. I should probably do some research before I say anything. But what I will say is I know that at the churches I've been a part of, if somebody's a sex offender and we found out, they were either not allowed to come or there was so many um, things in place. And I'm not saying that keeping like boundaries and safety nets in place is a bad thing, but I, I certainly feel like um, there's got to be grace. If the church can't be a safe place and a place of hope and um, all those things for everyone, then it's it's not what I believe the church, it, it's not church. I, I mean, just to get really blunt, I don't think that's church. So I'm having a hard time actually with the concept of church and I'm actually going through a lot of thoughts on this, but I would say, yeah, those three LGBTQ, I think, are definitely misfits and outcasts in the church, in the modern American church today. Um, children who are, whose parents don't go to church, but maybe they, for whatever reason, want to come to church. I think that that's another group. And then, like I said, sex offenders are people who are maybe coming out of incarceration for different various crimes. I think, I don't think we are thinking of those people at all when we put, um, things in place when we, um, so to speak, do our like normal programming. I, I don't think it works. And I think we have to be willing to find a way that it works for everybody. Otherwise, I'm afraid that it's not what I believe the church was intended to be. Because I think the church can only be the church when it has all parts of the body and all parts of the body include LGBTQ. It includes children whose parents don't go to church. It includes sex offenders. I do think you have a point there saying that if, if the church isn't for all of these people, then it's not church or it's not what we thought it was going to be or that it could be. Um, I'm finding a lot recently that um, there are so many people who are so opposed to organized religion. And um, I think when people say that, a lot of people think like, oh, well, it's because you're an atheist or because you, um, you hate God or, you know, whatever people think that, um, that means when in reality, when someone says, you know, I have a problem with organized religion, a lot of time it is simply because of those exclusionary pro uh, practices and policies that we've talked about. 
um, I mean, people, even people who are not quote unquote religious know that the church is not the church if you don't include everyone. Um, all right, well, before we um, wrap up here completely, I'm wondering if you would like to tell everybody, you know, where can our listeners find you? Where can they find your writing? Um, if you want to talk about anything uh, coming up where they can, they can find you or connect with you. Yes, uh, I love to connect with people. And so please hop on over um, to mandacarpenter.com and you can subscribe to the blog. And I um, write an email newsletter once a month. Um, that is really, uh, it really fits my motto, which is impressing is exhausting. So I don't do it anymore. Um, so it's a really uh, like no filter let's keep it real. I'm going to show you myself in the raw, you know, just one of those, like, here's what's going on in life. Let's chat about it. And it, I think it, for a lot of readers, they tell me it makes them feel um, just more normal and human and um, kind of helps combat that comparison thing that can so easily creep in when we're um, trying to measure our life up against somebody else's. And so anyways, mandacarpenter.com for my email newsletter and blog updates and all the fun stuff there. I also will always share if I'm a guest writer or contributor on another uh, publication or podcast or something. And then on Instagram, Manda Carpenter, that's where I hang out the most. I'm, I still have Facebook. I still have Twitter, but I really don't use those. So I'm actually contemplating deleting them altogether. Um, but in the meantime, connect with me on Instagram or on my blog. And I'm happy to um, chat more about any of the things that we've been talking about and genuinely getting to know who you are on the other side and what your story is. Because like, like I said, just to kind of tie back to the beginning, um, how you pointed out what my blog says, there isn't a single person you wouldn't love if you knew their story. And so I want to get to know everyone's story and I want them to get to know mine and I want them to get to know one another. I want it to feel more like a space for conversation and community rather than um, all about me. So yeah, join me there. That would be awesome. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Manda today. I learned so much from her every time I talk to her. I hope you did too. Like she mentioned, you can find her at mandacarpenter.com. You can also find her on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Manda carpenter um, i would really encourage you to check out her instagram it is beautiful now i do want to talk a little bit here about her ministry monthly letters of encouragement i know i said at the top of the show i would tell you a little bit more about it because we didn't get to talk as much as i would have liked about it in the actual podcast episode so monthly letters of encouragement you can sign up to either receive or to write um, i'm a writer so once a month i write a couple letters to a couple of different recipients across the uh, nation um, and it, it's really simple it's just to encourage them um, and remind them that god sees them 
knows them, and loves them. It's an amazing ministry, and I would really encourage you to make your way over to mandacarpenter.com and sign up for one or the other, either to write or to receive a letter uh, each month. Okay, friends, one last thing here before I sign off. If this podcast is encouraging you or positively impacting you in any way, please take a few seconds to hit that subscribe button and leave a review. That really helps new listeners find this content. And if it is good for you, I hope it will be good for others who find us along the way. Of course, you can always connect with me as well on my website, baileyjoewelch.com and on Instagram and Twitter at baileyjoewelch. Now, once you get there, either to my website or my Instagram or Twitter page, you will notice that it does say Bailey Welch Pomerantz because I did just get married in November, but I am going to go ahead and leave the handles in the actual web address as Bailey Joe Welch so you guys can find me a little bit easier. All right, guys, I'll see you next week.